the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Cain got jealous of his brother Abel. He said, I'll just kill him. (laughs) He killed his brother. God comes down there and says, Cain? Like God didn't know, but he's asking, you know, where's your brother Abel? And, and Cain says, what am I, my brother's keeper? Got an attitude with God. <laughs> uh, I think God w- should have told him yes, and killing him is not a good start to, to the thing. We are supposed to be our brother's keeper. It says so right here in the Bible. I put some scriptures down. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Brotherly love. You can say sister. When I say brother, you know, it means sibling love in the, in the Bible. And you know we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So when we're talking about these things, we're not talking about so much the, the blood family. Well, we are talking about the blood family, aren't we? Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, I beat Heath the other day in golf. Beat him pretty good. I shot under par first time in my whole life. I just had an outrageous round, and he had a terrible round. He got to where he could have thrown his clubs. <laughs> he could have been just upset. Oh my! He could have been thinking about himself. But he recognized about five holes in that something unusual was happening with me and I was having the, the round of a lifetime. This was earlier this summer. He stopped. He almost put his clubs away and said, let me just caddy for you. I just want to watch what's happening with you right now. Now that's outdoing one another, showing honor right there. That your brother, he could have got mad that he was losing and he was doing terrible. could have been self-seeking, thinking about his own self. I'm doing terrible. But no... The rest of the round, my brother rode around in that golf cart encouraging me to stay with it, keep thinking, keep concentrating, because he wanted to see me shoot a good round. I got a good brother. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. And then, of course, Jesus says in Matthew 22.37, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. We all know that scripture. That's the great commandment, right? He said this is the first and greatest commandment, but a second one is equally. That's a big word. Equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So our relationships are supposed to flow this way with all our heart, soul, and mind. But an equally important one is that our relationships, our love flows to the left and to the right. Did I do something? Oh, you want this Bible? I threw it over here. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. So the simple answer, are we our brother's keeper? Absolutely. I mean, everything in God's kingdom begins with relationships. 
Everything in God's kingdom is about relationships. It, your, your life started when you began a relationship with God. And your sanctification process began begins when you begin to make relationships with God's children here on the earth. And that's what helps you grow in this discipleship. That's the great commission. We have the great commandment to love each other, to love God, and to love each other. And the great commission is to do life together and build relationships and help each other work out our junk because we got a lot of junk. We need Jesus, our relationship with Him, but we also need relationships with each other. So how do we keep our brothers and sisters if we're our brother's keepers? What does this keeping entail? What are we supposed to do? Well, it should be like you should have done to your natural siblings when you were growing up, but you didn't. <laughs> you should have uh, helped them out when they needed you, that watched out for them, encouraged them, protected them, uh, covered them, counseled them, but no, you were too busy tattling on them and getting them in trouble, <laughs> smacking them in the back of the head. And, pestering them and stealing their stuff. You know you know how we do. But brothers and sisters in Christ, our first probably priority is to point each other to Jesus. Does that make sense? We have an obligation to love one another enough to continue to point each other to Jesus because He is the answer for everything that we need. And we know that. We have the words of eternal life. And sometimes we need to share them with one another. We, sometimes they'll share them with you back. You know, you'll be going through something. But that's the way uh, life in the family of God is. We help one another in our times of need. Uh, I think about pointing them to Jesus. Look at Andrew. When he heard Jesus preach, the first thing he did, he went and hunted his brother Peter down and said, Peter, you got to come. I've done found the Messiah. you got to come see. And he didn't wait for Peter to say yes or no. He snatched Peter up and drug him there and made him meet Jesus. And so, uh, in the family of God, we're ever pointing one another to Jesus. Brotherly keeping are the guardrails in the process of discipleship. As we watch over each other, as we care for one another, as we help each other stay on the straight and narrow, we set guardrails so that none of our brothers and sisters go off into a ditch. We're supposed to be the safety net for one another. We're not supposed to sit back and watch our brothers stop coming to church. You know, when we put together men's and women's groups with the idea of being smaller and bigger at the same time, where people have somebody to call and you make friends within your group and stuff, as it worked, it's, it's working better not having anything, but, but we're going to get better at it. But it, that's, that's so that you have some, a safety net. Because one guy from up here that has as many things to do as I do, I don't have time to know everybody's business, and probably most of y'all don't want me to know your business. But you need somebody to know your business. You need somebody. What are you saying, amen? You need somebody to know your business. Lord, help our business. <laughs> but, right? We need accountability. And, and, you know, think about somebody that's in your men's or women's group that's not here tonight or, or hadn't been coming on Sundays. Are you reaching out? Are you saying, where you at, bud? I ain't seen you in a long time. You ain't got to, you know, if I call them, so I, can, 
I can attest that anytime I call somebody, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't at church Sunday. I know I'm supposed to do it. And they all get all a guilt trip. And I'm just like, I just called to say hello, you know. <laughs> so I, I kind of almost refrain from calling people after they miss a Sunday because they assume that I'm calling about that. I'm not. But somebody, if you begin to miss, somebody needs to reach out. And you need to see yourself as, as one of the disciples and disciple makers in here. You, you are helping the people within your group. To, uh, and you're giving guardrails to people in the church. Sometimes brotherly keeping, being your brother's keeper, may mean that you got to administer some correction. And that's hard for us because we're like, I don't know. But you remember the golf club incident, right? <laughs> I needed somebody to snap me out of it. And all he had to say was, Pastor? It made me come back to myself for a minute. What am I doing, you know? I've entitled tonight's message, Perfecting or Correcting. All that was just for free. That was just a setup. <laughs> Perfecting or Correcting. How do we correct people in the body of Christ? What is our role as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? As our brother's keeper. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take care of those who are weak. And be patient with everyone. That's pretty good scripture right there. That gives you a sense of what we're to do for each other. Now that same day, that same Friday after we went and played golf, uh, we went to my, my son Joshua's football game in Tunica where he goes to school. And uh, they're 6-0, and oh, all right. You know? And Josh is doing unbelievably. I'm so proud of him. He hadn't even played football since ninth grade, but this year he's you know he played three quarters out of the game and he's... He's doing really well. I'm so excited. We watched the game, and uh, they were just dominating this team like they have every team they've played so far, and they may win state this year. I'm telling you, he's got a good team. Well, and at the end of the game, Heath was going down the stairs of the bleachers before me, and uh, I was a couple steps back, and, and all of a sudden, I seen him do this number here. <laughs> and I'm like, you big idiot, can't even walk down the steps, you know? And I'm walking down, and I'm like two steps behind him. My second step, I went, did the same thing. <laughs> and both of us limp off to the car with twisted left ankles. And I'm I, before I left, I looked at those bleachers. There was nothing wrong with those bleachers. There wasn't a loose board or nothing like that. There, were, there didn't seem to be no grease or anything, but both of us did the same thing. <laughs> and I thought of that scripture. Consider yourself lest ye fall. <laughs> because instead of sitting there laughing at him thinking how stupid he is I probably brotherly love should have kicked in and I should have are you alright or you know let me help you or something but I'm laughing and knucklehead oh, and I did it too what the world Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 is where that scripture is it says dear brothers and sisters we're just talking brothers and sisters tonight right are y'all brothers and sisters Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin or some step on the bleachers, you who are godly should gently 
and humbly. Humbly, is that a word? Gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You know, if we were much more tender-hearted, much more gentle and humble with each other, I wonder, you know, sometimes if we wouldn't fall into the same traps and, and have the, whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. You know, if you're gentle with other people, I believe God will be gentle with you. But anyway, sometimes we got to administer correction to our, our own brothers and sisters. And you're thinking, well, I don't know about that. I ain't never told nobody in the church nothing. I ain't telling, you know, I ain't, that's not my job. That's your job, Pastor. <laughs> but wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. You're saying, but I don't feel qualified to judge anybody. Good, because you're not. <laughs> and neither am I. And we shouldn't judge the person, but we can certainly judge the behavior of the person. We don't judge and condemn the person. The person's no good. That's not our job. That's not, we don't own that person. That's God's job to judge that person. But we can certainly judge the behavior of that person and, and in a manner where we're thinking we need to help that person. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Let's turn to Matthew 7, verse 1. And Jesus says it like this. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Now keep in mind, that means judging the person. Paul, Apostle Paul tells us in another place that we, it's our job to judge things that go on within the church. So we're not just people that lack judgment. I mean, you make a judgment every time you come to the red light where you're going to stop or not. So we are people of judgment. We, don't, we simply don't judge God's people. At, you know, at the level, we're not the, the final authority. We don't know what's in their heart. Do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a big old log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that little speck in your eye when you can't see because of the big old log in your eye? <laughs> Hypocrite! That's what Jesus said. Hypocrite! And that's why most of us say, I ain't telling nobody nothing. Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know I got a big log in my eye, and so I'm certainly not going to tell anybody else nothing. And so you got half the body of Christ seeing themselves with this big old log in their eye, and they're afraid of being called a hypocrite. I ain't telling nobody nothing, and so no discipling gets done. Here's an idea. How about we pull the big log out of our eye? Because Jesus goes on to say, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. He's saying don't just sit there 
in sin and then think you're going to boss everybody else around. No, get rid of the speck in your eyes so that you can be a disciple maker. So that you can be a disciple of Jesus Christ and help others. So that you can help get the speck out of somebody else's eye. Is that helping anybody? Helping get the speck out of somebody else's eye, or maybe even the log out of somebody else's eye. That's not judging them. That's helping them. Thus the word, help get the speck out of their eye. It's helping them. That is not judging them. Judging them would be saying, you're no good, you'll always be like that. You're left to yourself. I've judged that you ain't even worth my time. No, a brotherly affection, a brother's keeper would say, Brother, I see that you're struggling in an area, and, I, and, and I've been down that road, you know, and, and I've told you before, we all have something to give, despite the big logs in our eye. It, I can picture somebody on death row. They done killed seven people. And they're on the way to the electric chair, and, and some people from their church show up to give them moral support on the way to the electric chair. He said, and he tells the people, don't kill folks like I did. He just helped disciple somebody. He was trying to take us, he was trying with a big, huge log in his eye to tell somebody what not to do because that's all he knew to do. But he cared enough to say, don't do what I've done. And I think God would be, hey, he worked with what he had. So we can't just sit back and say, I'm not, I can't, I'm not qualified. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be all these things. No, we all can get the log out of our own eye in the first place. And secondly, even if the log is still there, you can tell people what not to do because you care. We are our brother's keepers. Which one of us has got it all together? Man, we've got to pull together in this if we're going to make it through. Correction is a big and necessary part of discipleship. It's not the fun part. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. See, we want to be like Christ, we got to speak the truth. And sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. Sometimes they're going to reject you. Sometimes, you know, we know all the things that, that people, you're judging me. They'll say you're judging them or whatever. But, but if you do it in the, the most love that you know how, and you speak the truth, and you do it like Jesus did. Jesus spoke hard truth, but people received it because they knew that he was working all things together for their good. He was proven. He was building relationships with folks. He was doing things. He was going about doing good. If you got a reputation like that, then you can speak into people's lives. And they will receive it, even if it's hard. And it's, I mean, that's one of the hardest things I do as a pastor, is have to bring somebody in there and say, I understand, you know, you... You're getting off track here, brother or sister. You're doing this or that, you know. And I, I have to deal with hard issues in this job. I can't just candy coat it or, or I wouldn't be doing my job as a pastor. But I need help. And we must, in a loving attitude, help our brothers and sisters 
when we see them falling. We must reach out to them. We can't let them stay on the ground and say, well, I'm not worthy to help pick them up. Yes, you are. By the blood of Jesus. It's got to be in love, of course, because correction without relationship just breeds rebellion. If you come over there with some self-righteous attitude, boy, you really messed up. You, you need to be like me or something. You know, they're not going to receive that. That's just going to draw them farther away. But the love of Christ, is you'll be surprised. Of all the doors I've ever knocked on, and people come to the door, just a smile breaks down so many walls. Just a simple smile. Just a, a happy attitude. Just a countenance. You can say the right words. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words to help somebody in some kind of way. I'm not saying that you've got to address all the big cases or something. It's your job to be the sin police and start pointing out people and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking when the Lord puts somebody on your heart and you, or, and you see somebody struggling... You know, it might not be where you're the one bringing correction, but you could sure, sure lend a hand of support and say, is there anything I can do to help? Am I making any sense? Sometimes more than speaking is necessary. 1 Corinthians 5.11. I wanted to hit some, some difficult subjects tonight. I don't know why. I don't think I did. I think God did. I, I really wanted to run from these, to be honest. You are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worship idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. So that's a pretty long list. It says you're not to associate with anyone who does these things with a, and claims to be a believer. Don't even eat with such people. Well, you say, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Didn't he? He went to, to tax collector's house. He went to Matthew's house. He went to Zacchaeus' house, I think. He, if you back up one verse in 1 Corinthians 5.10, it says, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. So he's not talking about not eating with lost people. Because you'd have to leave the world to do that because they're all over the place. And what a anorexic, messed up church we'd have if we refused to eat with sinners, you know. And we, as soon as sinners came in here, we started pointing fingers at them. Saying, oh, I ain't associating with you and this and that. That's the way a lot of churches are today, isn't it? Pointing fingers and stuff. And it's disgusting. God's like trying to welcome them in. He's worked his, their whole life to get them to come in and these churches just... Make a fool out of the gospel. But Paul makes it clear that this action is for anyone who claims to be a believer. That means they claim to know better and they do it anyway. They claim that they know Jesus Christ and they're, they're his child, but then they're going to indulge in sexual sin or being greedy and doing all these things. And they, and they know it's wrong, but they're living in open rebellion. It's not just a one-time thing, a slip-up or whatever. No, these people, I'm a Christian, but I'm doing this because I want to, and I'm going to keep on doing it. 
But let me say this. I, I said this to start a conversation. Even then, we should have the proper escalation of correction before we just cut people off. We just assume this and assume that, right? I, let's go to Matthew 18, 15. I believe, a, I believe this is similar to the case of someone who has sinned against you. And, and in this passage, Jesus tells us how to be reconciled to somebody who has sinned against you. And I think this would be probably the best way to handle someone who is, is that believer who is in sin in open rebellion to God and refuses so far to uh, turn from their wickedness. Matthew 18, 15 says, If another believer sins against you, now this is a believer, right? Go privately and point out the offense. You recognized it. You go and deal with it. It's a believer. And you go privately. It doesn't say get on the phone and call up three people and say, did you hear what so-and-so it is? I'm going to have to go talk to them. First of all, you may not have all your facts right. You may be spreading hearsay. You don't know the situation. You don't know why they did what they did. You need to talk to that person. And you need to do it privately because if you found out when you went privately and you talked to them that it was a mistake and you were wrong and you didn't spread those rumors about that person, you can't get those back. They, they might be calling somebody else while you go. So you go privately to that person. If the other person listens, listens to you and confesses it, you've won that person back. There's a good chance that somebody comes in an attitude of love and says, hey, I... I noticed that you're heading down the wrong path, brother. Is it true that you're, you know, you're living in immorality and you're doing these things? Because I know I used to do that before I got saved. And now, how are you doing that, man? That's not going to work for you. You know, the wages of sin is death. There's coming a payday, fella. I'm here to try to help you. What can I do to pull you to your senses? There's a good chance that somebody would do that for me. It would make me want to change. They could bring me to my senses real quick. Pastor. Right? They could bring you to your senses real quick. Just with a simple visit. And then they quit whatever they're doing. Everything goes back to normal. Your love has covered that sin. Nobody else has to know. But if you are unsuccessful, they don't listen, then you can go back with two or three others. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. But if the person, so, so go get somebody maybe more spiritually aware than you. Go get somebody who can help you make the case. Have an intervention. Okay, so-and-so is really heading down the wrong path and my heart is crying out for this person. And, I, and I've talked to them, but they won't listen to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carefully pick two or three other people that I believe will keep their mouths shut and that we can go deal with this and, and, and possibly have an intervention and show these, this person that what they're doing is going down the wrong path. And so you go. If the person still refuses to listen, then you take your case to the church officials. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan. Or a tax, corrupt tax collector. 
But you have done all that you could. And the only time that you get to the place where you are not having anything to do and you're turning your back on them, it's for their own good. Just like if your own child, you know, is asking for money and you give them money and they go out and spend it on drugs. At some point, you got to stop giving them money. And you show them tough love. You kick them out. Say, you, all right, if you're going to live like that, you got to live somewhere else. Go see how easy it is, you know. Tough love. And that's the only reason that you would get to a point where you, have, you are shunning someone. It's not the first step on the, on the list of escalation. A lot of people see that scripture, don't even eat with such a brother. But they hadn't talked to him. They hadn't even prayed for him. They don't even know the whole situation. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And we got a lot of churches doing those kind of things. They're being holier than thou. And it's making them feel good that they can point fingers at a bunch of other people. But no lost people are going to want to come to that church, and no struggling people are going to find freedom at that church. They're just going to be condemned and probably go back into the world. I'm trying to show us that there's a better way, the love of Christ. And, and, and when it gets to a point where you don't eat with that person, it's because it's what's best for that person so that they can see that, man, this is causing me, people know this is causing me issues. And when you take it to the church, the church has a whole level of disciplinary measures that can take place. They can lose their membership and so forth. And so the, the, you have the, the pastor speaking and, and people, the leadership speaking into their lives. You know, so there's, there's a proper escalation of correction. My suggested steps I wrote down based upon this scripture, with the first thing I would say is don't act in haste. Don't act in anger. Pray it out. Calm yourself before you meet with the person, before you go to them. Try to have as much facts as you can, and then act in love. Remember, they're not going to receive it if you come hammering on them, more than likely. But if you come in an in a attitude of love, they may open up their heart and listen to what you have to say. Another thing you do, maybe before you go, you might just ask, is this something that my love can cover? Because you say, okay, every situation is different. This person may have done this thing, but you may detect that they have repentance in their heart and they know they've already beat themselves up and they're not planning on doing it again. And if I go to them, I just may reopen the wound. I may just want to step back. So you, you be led by the Holy Spirit. You ask God, is this something that, that is my responsibility to address? Or should I just, I might be the only one that knows it, but I'm going to cover it to see if there's any, before I make it, do any action to see if, if uh, maybe I shouldn't do anything. Does that make sense? You're, you're just being wise. You're following the Holy Spirit. Uh. Then when you go talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, do it with love and humility and, and, you know, find you some scriptures to back up what you're saying. To, the Word of God brings correction, you know, and, and the truth. You, so you're not just saying, well, my grandmama used to tell me this. No, you know, Matthew 7, 16 or whatever tells, tells us this, man, that this is, you know, not good. This is not pleasing to God. So be scriptural a little bit. You say, well, I don't know a lot of the Bible, but you, but you have a Google, right? And so you, you can 
Anytime you want to look up a scripture, Google the word Bible, and then what you think it says or the topic. And then make sure it's one of the acceptable translations that we consider acceptable, and then uh, you'll be good. All right, so, so have some kind of biblical basis for what you're, going, what you're uh, doing. If you don't know if what they're doing is right or wrong, you might not be the one to go to them, okay? You might, you might want to say, pray about somebody else going. Third, if you have to, uh, or fourth, if you have to take somebody else with you the second time, you know, bring somebody godly with you that can help you make the case. And then if you have to bring it to the church leadership, do so. But don't start there. Telling the pastor on somebody is not your first step. And I can't, I can't stress to you enough how many people come and tell me what everybody else's business is, but they haven't made the first step. They want me to take care of it. But how would you feel if somebody went and told me about your stuff and wanted me to go straight to you and nobody else has even addressed the issue? You'd kind of feel like somebody's tattling on you, wouldn't you? See, the body is supposed to t pretty much take care of itself. Uh, you know, there's a pr progression before it gets to the church leadership. So that's not your first step. I, I can tell you a story about that. One time me and my brother Heath, we went fishing. And uh, I was about 13. He's seven or so. And we, we took our bucket of crickets and poles and we went fishing and on the way he was just eat up with guilt I could tell something wrong with him it looked like he had ate the two, some of the crickets out of that tube or something he was just looking sick at his stomach and I said what it is oh I can't tell you and he finally broke down he told me that he stole five dollars out of mama's purse and went to the at, and he went to the store and played five dollars worth of Pac-Man he was, it was just eating him guilt was eating him up and uh and I, I got all on him, and then he was about to cry and go home, and then I said, oh, well, it'll be all right. We'll, we'll, I won't tell, you know. And so we went, we went fishing, and we had a great day fishing together. I mean, we had a good time. We was laughing and joking. When we got back that afternoon, I ain't no sooner busted in the screen door. I said, Mama, he stole your $5. <laughs> <laughs> and the look on his face right before he slung that tube of crickets and hit me in the forehead. <laughs> no <laughs> don't be tattletales love covers don't take it all the way to the top let's, let's uh, take care of one another let's cover as much as we can because there may be a day that you need to be covered amen question should we avoid this Sunday's church potluck because there might be someone there that has unrepentant sin in their life. Because so, I believe some people believe that scripture means I can't eat you know, with, with people with unrepentant sin and, and even if it's in a big group. If that's the case, I don't think we'll ever be able to eat at church again. <laughs> <laughs> now, this next step this next saying is my opinion, but I believe eating in a group setting does not personally signify you condone or condemn the behavior of any one individual. I believe you can eat in a group setting with, with people that you know to be in sin, 
but that doesn't mean you're condoning their lifestyle because you're eating in a group setting. I think Paul's point was don't give an unrepentant, well-warned believer your stamp of approval by personally hanging out with them one-on-one and acting like there's nothing wrong. You see what I'm saying? What what he's getting at is... uh, I don't know what he's getting at. But there is a time to separate. There's a time to separate, and it's for the good of the individual. Make be a time when you have to say, brother, I can't eat with you. And let them know why. Uh, you've been through the process. You've, you've reasoned with them. And so, I, I just can't go down that path with you. I can't sit with you and eat and pretend everything is all right when I know that you're not living uh, a godly lifestyle and you're pretending that you are and you're claiming to be a Christian and you're bringing shame on the name of my Lord and Savior and so I cannot eat with you. It may be a point where you get to that, but hopefully it's after you've prayerfully exhausted many other options trying to save that person from that place. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Of course, what he's saying in that letter is now what we know as the Bible. So <laughs> take note of those who refuse to obey the Bible. Stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. See, that's why you do it. So they'll be ashamed and maybe their shame will lead them to repentance. But then in verse 15, he says, but don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother or a sister. You don't do it just to make them look bad. You do it because you love them like a brother or sister. There's no such thing as just writing somebody off in the kingdom of God. No person here in this church can get to a place where we just say, well, they have just given up on God, so we give up on them. We never give up. if, if If there's nothing more, if we have to kick them out of the church... You know, like the one guy got to a place where he was sleeping with his mother-in-law or something and he wouldn't repent and the church had to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. If it got that bad, they still prayed for him. And then when he repented, they still welcomed him back. And the Apostle Paul made it clear that if you forgive him, I forgive him. But there's no such thing as writing somebody off. Love always seeks what's best for your brother or sister. Sometimes it's tough love, but most times we're whirled away from having to take those big, huge steps. Most of the time it's just somebody reaching out and caring. What's really sad is when somebody is fading. You know, it's a slow fade. You heard that song. It's a slow fade. The devil wants to get you on a slow fade. Out of church a little bit. Oh, I'm just going to slide back into a few beers on Friday night. Then I'm going to slide into this. And you're slowly fading back from the things of God. And the devil's got... Most of the time, it would just take one loving brother or sister to say, I see what you're doing, brother, and you know that's not right. And, and, and some prayer and stuff. I, 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 we, could, we could keep that back door shut in this church so much better than we do. I often say for every new person that comes here and gets saved, we got two coming out the back. 
And you wonder why we're not growing. We have had enough new visitors and people saved here and new people come to this church. This ch we ought to be having three services on a Sunday right now. But as soon as we get somebody new in here, there's three gone out the back on a slow fade. And I just, I'm pleading with you guys, I can't do it all. And it's not my job to do it all. As brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about just correction. I'm not saying that you have to, to, to do anything major. I'm just saying care. Just care and, and check on somebody. Sometimes you, the Holy Ghost will just lead you to say, we've been missing you. You're not saying, you ain't been to church for six weeks, I've been counting. <laughs> You're just saying, we've been missing you. And that's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's encouraging correction. Ephesians 4.2 says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. See, that's what we want, everybody united in the Spirit, everybody on the same page, one heart, one mind, in unity. That's when the building was shaken in the book of Acts. That's when things happened. Always pursue things that make for peace between you and a brother or a sister and between them and God. Keep those, that love flowing in both directions. We're a warm, fun-loving family, eager to reach out with God's love and restore all who have lost their way. And that includes the people in the church as well as the people out of the church. Everyone matters. We're a hospital of hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. You know, I probably didn't deserve this, but Heath ate with me after the golf fiasco. <clears throat> but he lovingly explained that maybe there were a few roots of anger <laughs> that I need to get out of my life before they bounce back on me, you know. And I appreciate my brother. He watches over me. He cares for me. And he's my natural brother. But I got a lot of brothers in here to check on me. And a lot of people I know is praying for me. And I want you to feel like that. I want everyone in here to feel like there's a lot of people praying for you. A lot of people checking on you. And there, there's people that want to speak and help you in your life. Second Timothy, I'll close. Chapter 2, verse 24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. You are your brother's keeper. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.